Have you pressed play? Good job. Welcome to season 2. I am Umberto Di Cinove and this is Get the Bug. A podcast that explores the question, what if insects are the next game changers? Welcome back to Get the Bug. I'm very happy to be back, but I'm also still excited for everything that happened in the meantime. Indeed, a lot of things happened, so I would say it's already something I have found the time to edit a new Get the Bug season. As some of you know, I am a documentary photographer and I'm collecting material about the potential role of insects when dealing with some global and social challenges. I'm doing it traveling, taking photographs, and talking with experts. In this podcast, you will listen to some of the conversations I recorded. As I was saying, since I released the first Get the Bug season, a lot of things happened. First of all, I am pleased to announce that my photographies were nominated by Photo España for being part of Futures Photography. And then my project was selected for the Futures Traveling Exhibition. So, starting from October 2023, my images will be shown at Kappa Center in Budapest, at Photo Arland in Dublin, and Photodoc in Utrecht, so in the Netherlands. I want to state this is a personal accomplishment and I'm proud of it, but it also proves that there is a growing interest in the topic. So somehow this is a recognition for the whole insect space. And I would say, especially to everyone who gave me the opportunity to document their research, their work and their projects. It also happened that I was two times in Asia, thanks to AFIA, the Asian Food and Feed Insect Association, and once in Texas, so in the US, thanks to the CIF, the Center for Environmental Sustainability through Insect Farming. And in this episode, you will listen to the conversation I had with Michael Place. Usually, this is the moment in which I say who my guest is and what it does. But since this was the subject of, of the first part of our conversation, you will hear it directly from him. Anyway, if you search Michael Place on LinkedIn, you will read Chapul Farms CTO. And with this caption, Unleashing Circularity in Partnership with Nature-Based Systems. And I want to add, Everythinker, and a good reason to make a podcast, not just to listen to it. As I was saying, we met at the CIF Spring Meeting and by chance, better to say thanks to Mackenzie Wade, I was part of a very interesting after-dinner conversation between Michael and Mackenzie. And as with Mackenzie, you can listen to her in episode 4, this encounter just happened and I enjoyed every moment of it. After our conversation yesterday, I, I came to the conclusion that define your figure is challenging. What do I you know, see myself as? I, more of a, uh, I come from a, a digital technology background, so I do like that uh, the mode I used to work in was uh, working with many, many people, always seeking to have uh, smarter people than me. 
uh, in many different specialized niches and then integrating that as a leader into an overall picture that delivers value in that case to uh, businesses. But here, um, you know, we really do outside of the stakeholder capitalism, the canned version, we really do, you know, embody and try to embody that we are working for stakeholders uh, far beyond our, our bottom line, including the planet, including our, our children. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, we, we call ourselves stewards. I'm, I'm really expanding on this, but, um, but yeah, I'm the, officially the CTO at Chapul Farms, uh, helping to lead the technical uh, vision and execution of our, our leveraging of the natural world here with insects. So we are back to your job role, and it's perfectly fine, but I want more. Let me rephrase and repeat the question, which is your definition of yourself. Ooh, that's much harder, right? Well, I would like to, uh, when I think about science, uh, I'm not a traditionally trained scientist, unless you count computer science. Um, I love the old term of natural philosopher, Uh, which was how we used to define science 150 years ago. Um, and then in a modern context, one of, the, one of the other things I bring to the table, you know, we aren't just dealing with innovation and, and new markets or what have you. We're dealing with profound uh, broken systems, not just food. We have regulatory capture is a big topic for us. And so um, – When you look at that in the scientific realm, I like to think of myself as a scientific philosopher. So critiquing the, the process, the speed, the priorities, the funding, you know, so many aspects of the problems we're trying to address. We have solutions, but there are uh, political economies, corruption, monopolistic entities in the way. And so I, I think of myself as a natural philosopher, scientifically, but also a scientific philosopher where with something so new and powerful and, and broadly applicable as insect agriculture, we have to make sure we don't bring the baggage of the systems we're trying to uh, steer in a much better direction at a rapid trajectory. Well, I like insect agriculture. It better implies we are referring to, to something systemic. About the rest, I, I, I agree on everything, and I agree on the fact that having solutions is great, but not enough. And you, you just said there is a system to change. And in our conversation yesterday, you were talking about staying pure. And you are an entrepreneur. Help me connecting the dots. Well, I, uh, I'm trying to access whether or not I use the terms... Pure, because that sounds problematic to me. But certainly we're, we're trying, to, um, trying to retain, right, a, a true commitment to a deeper mission. And, I, and, you know, we hear so many terms these days can be used in, in performative ways. Oh, we have a mission, we have a vision. Um, but honestly, you know, I evolved into this, into this space uh, on a personal journey around health and nutrition, and then specifically from, you know, as a, a hobbyist, if you will, my, my gardening, my beekeeping, and my composting, which became invaded with black soldier fly, sort of, that was my entry point into this the potential here. And we have countless examples of where um, innovations or incredible efficiencies will get swallowed up by the, uh, 
the broader um, dominant entrenched institutions, a very small number of food companies, for example, very small com com number of uh, chemical companies that produce things for agriculture. So all of that to say, staying pure is really about um, we don't have a very efficient way to tabulate things like ecosystem services. We don't count all the externalities when we do economic cost-benefit analyses and we decide what to invest in and what to scale as a culture. And so staying pure is the sort of gauntlet of achieving foundational uh, capital required to, to, to grow and to bring this value to the world uh, without losing the independence of taking this where it truly can go, which, to be honest, is, uh, is a very big topic, but it certainly goes well beyond our business model. And um, I think, uh, so that's what we mean by staying pure. Not, you know, we could be successful financially. We could, you know, uh, provide returns to our investors, which we are committed to doing. But we could easily be uh, rendered ineffective in the kind of leverage that we think is still possible for insect agriculture to drive change. Well, I would say dots connected, and uh, <laughs> I like the coming out figure. You said something about a personal journey around health and nutrition. Is it okay for you to, to talk through it? You know, I grew up uh, what we used to call on the SAD diet, the standard American diet. And it, it's wild because back in, this would be around 1990, um, <clears throat> I was nearly 300 pounds. Uh, I was extremely unhealthy. I didn't know anything about how to nourish a human body. Yeah, what is said, and not just as standard American diet, but really said is that Most of us know practically nothing about the human body. In my case, I had to, to break my knee to learn how to prevent injuries. As your journey was a personal journey. I mean, there is something deeply wrong with this. Absolutely. You know, I, I, there was recently an editorial that called what we're doing with processed food. If you look at the data on childhood obesity, childhood uh, type 2 diabetes, the cost of these things... But they described this as a slow burn genocide. And I felt, you know, that way for a very long time. If you look at, you know, captured audiences in public schools, drinking out of soda machines and things like this. So back then it was even less of a focus culturally. And I stumbled into some very, very good information, almost through, through luck. Um, and I followed this program. I'd been overweight my whole life, but I was an athlete. Then after high school, it was just... I just grew and grew. I had, I was, you know, my digestive system was falling apart and that's 30, over 30 years ago. And in five months time with whole foods and a, a, a friend's mother gave me a copy of a diet. I basically ate raw food and, and then some beef and chicken on weekends and lost 90 pounds over a summer. And then I was obsessed to try and understand what had just happened to me because I felt like a different human being, you know, mm -hmm. the, the sugar highs and the, and the, you know, I used to pop pills all the time, Tylenol or whatever. I was always having headaches, you name it. Now I couldn't, I could barely sleep more than four or five hours at night. I was tiny compared to what I was at my energy levels, my clarity of thinking. It really was the most revolutionary single event in my life 
with the possible exception of becoming a father. But that set a whole trajectory for me, my relationship to healthcare, to, you know, whether or not we need pharmaceuticals or if food is our medicine. These things were baked into me by the time I was 22, three years old. And um, they've driven really a huge amount of the life choices I've made and how I see the world, um, which eventually, you know, got deeper into building relationships with farmers. So at first it was organic, but then I realized that local and, and connecting to farmers was far more important. These, the deeper sustainability issues, the, there's a lot of complexity here, of course, but it's been a, a constant in my life since, since I was, you know, 21 years old when this all happened. And it was amazing when Black Soldier Fly kind of presented themselves as a vehicle for me to finally, uh, you know, put my money where my mouth was and try and do something other than just, you know, you know, understand things for myself or maybe my family and friends. It was a it was a huge amount of leverage I saw to solve problems and to create a better, more resilient food system. Well, this is what a philosopher is for me. I mean. Things happen, you investigate them, you study, and you become aware of the changes and you come up with something that you also share. But probably this is also going off topic. So let's go back to the food system. I listen to you talking about aquaculture, again, from an interesting point of view. So as this is strictly related to, to insect farming or insect agriculture, i would like you to share again your perspective and, and now also with the Get the Bug listeners. On the positive side, aquaculture is trying to, uh, to bring something relevant uh, in terms of quality protein production relevant to uh, human dietary needs that can scale into the future, that doesn't run into some of the hard physical constraints of a finite planet that is very, very precariously stomping through its limited resource base. And so that's how it's touted. It's touted as the protein of the future. And it's given a lot of, um, let's say, uh, it is summarized as far more sustainable than land-based livestock production um, and, and many other ways of looking at it. The, the truth underneath uh, is much more, uh, you know, complicated. And so you could take finfish versus shrimp, for example, Shrimp is sort of the egalitarian, maybe it's, it's a little bit more like black soldier fly production, that a small holder farmer or a tiny farmer in Vietnam or in India can produce shrimp successfully um, and you know, even commercially beyond his own needs, beyond the needs of his family. And that, maybe that form of aquaculture is the ideal scale and, and that could grow and be a very sustainable production unit, if you will, in a, in a future Uh, then you take what's happening in, in some of the big fin fish. You've got massive, massive industrial grows. They've, they've had a whole history of antibiotic utilization, trying to move away from that. But my point about being, having open questions are that it's a, an attempt to replicate the, the living conditions of these species. And there are, you know, even in the last three or four years, you can go scan the headlines. You have massive failures, die-offs, You have uh, the, the inroads of genetically modified salmon. There's concerns and certainly unknowns about what happens if they make it out into the wild. But sticking, staying away from that piece of it, it's, it's not, uh, they haven't ironed out all the kinks. 
And that's why, you know, there's, there's a lot of open questions, whether it be for investors or people like me who are observing, is this the most efficient, most uh, um, rational place for us to pour billions of dollars and continue to scale? And have we comprehensively looked at how this works in the projected output that it, that's there for 2050? Now, business-wise and, and with where I work, it's very interesting because the biggest cost and the biggest constraint is feed. And so if we can shrink landfills and scoop up all the low-value biomass and, and help that industry, great. But in, in our minds, you know, there are many open questions. Uh, you know, if, if that's going to, you know, it may be a completely reshaped livestock landscape with far more regenerative land-based agriculture happening, helping to reproduce soil, healthy soils and aquaculture. I, I just don't know that it's, um, it's clear that it doesn't have externalities and concerns and might not run into its own constraints. Uh, and then you get to the quality of it. When you grow these animals in captivity, you know, are there any qualitative issues or residual, uh, you know? Uh, yeah, so the, I just don't think any, any area of the current food system at scale has all the answers. Well, this is another good point. So I think you are the right person with this approach for, for introduce the challenges insects bring with them. Well, so just to, to, to anchor my original conception of this, uh, I have a 20-year relationship with an NGO uh, in Tanzania serving Tanzania's most vulnerable children. We have a primary school there. We're an orphanage and a farm. And <clears throat> so when you first get your head around particularly black soldier fly larva, bioconversion of waste and, and its utility in farming. Um, this is not something that will be, should be or will be contained by large commercial entities only. It applies at a tiny level, household level, smallholder farm level, and, and on up through different scales of farms. Economics aside, this can really work there. Um, when you talk about challenges, I would say it would be more towards so not whether or not this works per se, but as we scale, as we develop, are we doing it in a way to maximize the value? And that's a very, you know, I know there's a lot of critics out there um, who suggest that, for example, to keep with the example of Africa, that we should not be uh, targeting the high dollar, high price uh, operations, um, that we should be looking at this more as a distributed agricultural practice and disseminating and focusing on getting it out into the hands of the world's 800 million smallholder farmers. Where I think we have to dance with the devil is the imminence of our problems. Um, you know, there's been a lot of reports in the last few years about, you know, increasing the world's uh, undernourished and malnourished by hundreds of millions due to supply chain related issues. Um, we are one fuel energy crisis away from a billion extra people not having enough to eat. Well, we will not get it done um, with tiny little dribs and drabs of, of a different way of doing things. And so we feel the kind of inertia that we can't just stop what we're doing. So going larger, providing at scale solutions, uh, and then serving those markets so that we can continue to scale. Um, yeah, it has risks. There's a lot of, you know, just the fact that you build at infrastructure scale you know, you might say that that's already dealing with segments of our population who uh, will have far more advantage than us in terms of taking control of our, our, our efforts. 
you know, uh, be, be that a black soldier fly factory, an asset. You know, we call them farms, but they, they'll be seen as, as a new industry and something that was very attractive to powerful people, and that's a risk. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm being self-conscious or maybe defensive. The, the, the complaints out there around insect agriculture are, well, we could take some of the popular ones and I'd like to dispel them. The idea that we're out trying to forcibly change people's diets with the most powerful people in the world supporting us. Yeah, let's talk about it. I, I'm understanding in these days here that this is a point of concern nowadays in the U.S., the truth of insects is actually, you know, profound. It, they've been a fantastically reliable protein for millions of years for hominids. And whether or not you choose to eat them is, in my mind, up to you and how it makes you feel. Um, but the argument that they're not a very natural, very viable source of high-quality nutrients for humans is just flat wrong. But yeah, there's criticisms that simply say it's, it's too expensive. It's, you know, doing it at scale, not doing it in a, in a low-tech farm type context creates an energy demand. Um, those who are extremely narrowly focused on carbon will immediately take the energy that, that we utilize, let's say to dry the larva and point to that as a, as an emissions problem. Um, but the, you know, again, you, you have to look at, uh, whether or not this should be done at larger scales as a, a bridge technology for a profoundly broken food system. And, you know, it does require a bit of energy to do it in larger scales and to involve some uh, modern efficiencies and what have you. Um, but I feel that that doesn't, it's not an either or, you know, if we're doing this appropriately, we're training farmers around the world and you'll see markets arising in the developing world. Um, you'll see technology that can reach these situations to ensure safety with very inexpensive diagnostics and, you know, somebody cleaning up 200 tons of organics waste in a, in a, uh, a concentrated operation in the United States is not in competition to the flourishing of this in, in an African agricultural context. But you get back to that word pure. Some people are purists and they do see the problems and they say, well, you know, this is the compromise. We should be doing this. Um, but you have to marshal resources. You do have to bring in support financially to grow, get the word out. This is not just going to sweep the world like a domino falling over. And um, so in different contexts uh, for different problems in, in an area, it, you, know, you have to tailor it to the bioregion. And in some cases, I think that's a justifiable uh, case to be using this as a municipal organics waste tool, as a, uh, an efficiency tool for large-scale farms. Certainly, we have manure on the roadmap down the road. Um, do, I, do I think concentrated animal feeding makes any sense? No, I think it's rather crazy. But something that, uh, other than creating lagoon pools that, you know, emit tons of, of uh, carbon and tons of hydrogen uh, sulfide and, and pollutants and what have you, and then call themselves renewable, you know, we can do much better with that simply feeding that to bugs. Well, thanks. I, I, I think you are really giving me, us, food for thought. Now we have to conclude, and I want to do it with your vision on the potential of insects. In the animal kingdom, insects are, it's really difficult to argue they're not the most successful uh, species out there. You know, the broader concept we call biomimicry, right? 
Biomimicry recognizes that we have really ignored, to our discredit, how sophisticated nature really is, how complex it is. And black soldier fly, I look at them as a, on the surface, you've got an insect eating waste, you've got great feed, biofertilizer, microbially rich, and that's your kind of core value proposition. Um, But the deeper that you go into it, the the sophistication of of what's happening microbially, um, those are vistas right now, antimicrobial peptides, you know, that could be the most promising area for handling infection as antibiotics fail alarmingly right now in, in one of the more dramatic things happening in the world today. Um, it, it's been argued by some of the top antimicrobial experts in the world, personally to me, that black soldier fly larvae could change medicine for centuries because of the promise that we already see in these remarkable antimicrobial peptides, uh, which they possess more of than any other invertebrate in the world as of right now. So that's, you know, they're taking out the garbage and they'll pay their own way and solve some problems while we study them in a living laboratory that really doesn't have a limit yet in terms of what it might be able to do. Um, And that is, I know this, we used, we always say too many aces because I say something hyperbolic like that, that black soldier fly could maybe change medicine for centuries. And then I could pivot to chitin and I could talk about the fact that the exoskeletons and this material that they produce, you know, this is a, a easily trans, uh, transformed into a bioplastic, for example. We could go out there and become the next great thing in feed, and it could all stop there. And um, if we don't do the research, we don't extend this as an ongoing reconnection to natural nature-based systems, and learn from it and leverage more from it, then we'll have failed, even if we succeed and, you know, build big companies and what have you, um, because we're trying to shift a lot more than just, uh, you know, one piece of the puzzle here with this. Can you publicly say right here, right now, you will come back to this podcast? 100%. So this was the conversation I had with Michael Place, Chapul Farms CTO and natural philosopher. We need, in my opinion, more people that talking about their stakeholders, mention the planet and our children. I do believe insects could be the next game changer, and that's why I'm working on a photo book and I'm doing this podcast. If you like my project, please share this episode with everyone you know who cares about environment is curious about life science and is still ready to embark on a personal journey. This project is my personal journey. Thanks for listening. Get the bug.